Will you turn your Bible to Revelation, please? Revelation, and I'll bring that message on Daniel another time. My heart was blessed and stirred and challenged by that message and film we saw tonight. I know it was a blessing to you. And by this song that Chuck sang and the choirs have sung, Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But all oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Friends will be there I have loved long ago. Joy like a river all round me will flow. Yet just a smile from the Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me, glory for me. When by his grace I shall look on his face, that will be glory for me. That's what Revelation is all about. When the glory of Jesus is completely unveiled. And it's not a matter of our receiving the glory, and that's not what that song means at all. It means that we shall behold his glory. That will be glory. That will be the glory. Not personal, selfish glory that I might glory, but it will be the glory and I'll behold it. And that's what Revelation is about, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for all we have experienced tonight. We pray that in the next few moments our hearts might be filled and thrilled and raptured as we think of things which must shortly come to pass. Anyone in this place who is not saved, may he come to Jesus tonight. And those who are already saved, may we get down to brass tacks and business for God and be done with lesser things and the foolish toys of this earth and be ready to go on for God and be businessmen, servants, as men under a mandate to serve the Lord Jesus until he shall come. We ask it in his name. Amen. The text, the basic passage I want to lay on our hearts tonight is in Revelation chapter 5. Rather, chapter 4 and 5, I want to give you part of chapter 4. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice that I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat on, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardis stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. And then in chapter 5, beginning with verse 8, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and four twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a, a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation and people, and hast made us unto our God a kingdom of priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld... And I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature that is in heaven and on the earth and under the sea and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. The outline of the book of Revelation is given in chapter 1, verse 19. When the Lord Jesus said to John, Write the things which thou hast seen, chapter 1. And the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, the churches. And the things which shall be hereafter, chapters 4 through 22. The rest of the age, all unveiled, unfolding in just a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And when we turn to chapter 4, after we have left the church age, we hear a voice saying, Come up here, and I will show thee things which must come to pass, which must be hereafter. Many Bible students believe that this is the voice calling the church, calling the believers out of the world to the rapture, to the glorious presence of Christ, where will take place the judgment seat of Christ and every believer will come before the presence of Jesus and there before his glorious presence we will give an account of our stewardship and we will be called to reckon concerning the things we have done in the work of the Lord here in the earth. There, every one of the works in a believer's life will be tried, and that which is built out of wood, hay, and stubble will be consumed and burned away, but that which is built out of gold, silver, and precious stones will endure throughout all eternity. And then will take place the marriage supper of the Lamb, and in chapters 4 and 5 we have the unfolding of the great hymns, the great songs they will sing in heaven. Down here on the earth, the world will grow darker and darker and darker as tribulation after tribulation is unveiled. And in chapter 6, we see the scene set again upon the earth. And will you listen to this? I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four living creatures saying, Come. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. This man on the white horse is not the Christ, but he is a substitute for Christ. He is the Antichrist, and he is the great world deliverer, the one who will promise peace to the earth and will arrange all the nations under the banner of his arm. And all of the tribes of the earth will gather together and serve under his banner. He is the spirit of Antichrist. But there will come another opposing him and in verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And there followed a third, and he opened the third seal, and I heard the living creature say, Come, and behold, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the living creatures saying, A measure of wheat for a denarius, and three measures of barley for a denarius, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. 
a promise of famine and pestilence that shall strike this earth. And in verse 7, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed after him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. All of these things will unfold in the dark period of the tribulation. And in the successive chapters of Revelation, we see the earth growing darker and darker and darker. And we see some of the believers persecuted for their faith. And in chapter 11, I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. The Lord Jesus will raise up during the tribulation period witnesses, two witnesses, and from these two witnesses there shall come 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will go out across the length and breadth of the earth and the glorious Word of God will come to the earth through the mouths and lives of the Jews once more. The church will be gone. The gospel of grace as we know it now will, be de will not be declared by the church, but the Jews will give the gospel to the earth. And those who receive the Jewish Messiah will be saved, but they'll have to pay for their salvation by their lives. Because in that day, there will be an economic system set up by the beast. And we read about this in Revelation 13. There comes a beast out of the sea, and he has an economic system that demands a mark either on the forehead or on the arm, and that mark is the mark of the beast, according to Revelation 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six, six, sixty-six. And one of the interesting things for a traveler in the Holy Land today, when you go to the city of Jerusalem, every public transportation, every bus, every taxi, all the public transportations have a number on them, and that number is 666. Right today, you go there, it's there. I don't know whether the significance is an equal or a parallel to that which the Scripture is teaching concerning the dark days of tribulation. At any rate, the beast will insist that all come under his economic system. And there will also be a false prophet. He's told about in chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon, and he exceedeth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. In that day, there will be a false religion, a world church. I believe we're already seeing the makings of it today. You see, when Christ comes and gathers unto himself those who are his own, only the saved will be taken. Only the believers will be taken. The rest will remain here. Now, there'll be some church members who'll be here. 
in all probability there will be enough church members to run the churches. And there will be a great world church. Some time ago, I was in a meeting. We had a talk show on a, on a radio station. And we had a Catholic priest and a Methodist preacher. And uh, I've forgotten who the others were, four or five preachers there. And when the talk show was over, we went over to get a cup of coffee. And uh, one of the men said, let's talk about some of the things that we can agree on. And I thought that's a good idea. And I said, well, uh, why don't we talk about how to have right standing with God? How do you get to heaven? How can you know you're saved? Oh, the Catholic priest said, let's not talk about that. We'd never agree on that. Well, I said, all right, what do you want to talk about? He said, uh, let's talk about the world church. Well, I said, all right. Now, what in your opinion is the world church? What's the purpose of it? Oh, he said, the purpose of the ecumenical movement is to bring together all of the religions of the world, to bring together not only the religions, religious segments of Christianity, not only the Methodists and the Baptists and the Episcopalians and the Roman Catholics and all that, but he said it's to bring together in one great world brotherhood all the religions, Buddhism, Zoroasticism, Mohammedanism, all of them. And then they'll all sit down together and we'll have one group and we'll all worship together. Now that's what the world church movement is. I'm not saying that everybody that's involved in the, in the ecumenical movement uh, understands that because many sincere Christians, as I understand it, are in it. But that's what the genius behind it is. And the world church is a world movement that would bring together from all groups those who would join together in one great world brotherhood. And I said, well, what kind of gospel would they preach? Oh, they, he said, that wouldn't really be the important thing. The important thing is agreeing together to better mankind. That's the main job and the main purpose. Now, we already have a whole platform of that going on in the world today, a great world ecumenical movement. And the world church is going to grow stronger and stronger and stronger, not necessarily today in organic union, but that will come later on. But when Jesus comes and takes unto himself those who are his own, the redeemed will be taken, the unsaved will be left. And I want to ask you tonight, if Christ should come suddenly to this place tonight and would take unto himself those who have been born of the Spirit, those who have been born again, those who know their names are in the Lamb's book of life, would you go? Are you positive beyond the shadow of a doubt that you've been born of the Spirit of God, that you're saved, that you're regenerated? Or do you just have your name on the church book? Are you just a church member? You see, when Christ comes into our heart, He changes us on the inside. And we begin to hate sin. We hate it. Now, we may get caught in it. And temptation may wrap its tentacles around us and lay our honor in the dust and defeat us. But if we're really God's child, we'll hate sin. And it won't be long till we'll come repenting of that sin and turning away from it because something inside our nature says, I don't belong in that pig pen. I don't belong living like an animal, like a hog, like a dog, like a sow. I'm God's child. I'm a child of the king. And I can't live like that and be joyful and happy. 
Now, this is one of the major tests of whether a man's saved or not, what happens when he sins. If you can sin and get down in the hog waller of it all and muck and mire of it all, and God never bothers you and God never sends anybody to you and God never disciplines you, then in all probability you've just got church membership, but you don't have heaven membership. You're not God's child by faith. And the world church in the dark day of the tribulation will have a lot of leftover church members in it, and they'll be there. And the false prophet will lead them to give their allegiance to Antichrist, and they'll worship before the beast, according to Revelation 13. And on and on we go. In chapters 17 and 18, we see the destruction of the world empires and the, and the world governments that have set themselves against God and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast them from us. And the Lord God will laugh in that day and hold them in derision. And the Lord is going to destroy those world governments. And then we see in chapter 18 the destruction of the world church and the false prophet and all of that. And then we come quickly to chapter 19 and we see the glorious second coming of Christ. First, the coming of the Lord is given to us in two similes. He is coming in the air for His own. He is coming to the earth with His own. He is coming in the air for His own, and we'll be caught up together to be with Him in the air. Revelation 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He is coming to the earth with His own. Revelation chapter 19, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Christ is coming again. And between those two periods, there is a dark tribulation on the earth, an, an awful period when Antichrist rules and the governments of the world take themselves against Israel. And as we saw earlier tonight, they will align themselves against God's anointed, God's holy place, God's pleasant land, God's Jerusalem, and the Jews. And they will line themselves on all sides, Russia, China, the United States of Europe, the Arabian nations, the Arabs, all of them against God's chosen people. And then suddenly, the Lord God will come with 10,000 of His saints to execute judgment on all those who are ungodly. Turn your Bible to Jude, please. The book of Jude. Hold your finger in Revelation and look at Jude chap verse, verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convict all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have committed and spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admira admiration because of advantage. This is a prediction of the coming of Christ when he comes with his own to the earth at the end of the tribulation at the end of the judgment seat of Christ, at the end of the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we come with Christ, and Christ will establish His millennial reign, according to Revelation 20, and the Lord will reign for a thousand years, and Satan will be loosed, will be chained for that period of time. And the Lord Jesus will demonstrate on the earth the kind of government where the Prince of Peace rules. And there will be peace on earth, goodwill toward men during that period. And then Revelation 21, 20, chapter 20 tells us 
that Satan will be loosed again at the end of that period and he'll go forth to deceive the nations and then Christ will end all of that and the Lord will purge the earth and there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which dwelleth righteousness. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more crying, nor pain, nor sorrow, and there will be no more death, for the former things are passed away. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That's when Jesus comes. But now wait a minute. The Lord hasn't come yet. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. We're living in an age just prior to the coming of Christ. Jesus said to his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane, watch here and pray and I go yonder to pray. And he went out and poured his heart out to God. Lord, if it be possible, may this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And while Jesus was in anguish because of what would happen tomorrow with the burden of a whole world of sin on his shoulders, on his heart, Peter, James, and John were over here asleep. Jesus came back and said, couldn't you watch with me one hour? He went back and prayed again. And he came again, and they were asleep. And then Jesus said, sleep on, the hour has come. And they came with sticks and staves and torches and lances as if to arrest a common criminal. And Peter arose, and he awoke, only it was too late. It may be that way with us. You see, Jesus is coming again. I don't know the hour. I don't know the day. There is no doctrine in the Word of God that would impose upon the believer a holy, godly life more specifically than the doctrine of the coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming again. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour, but he is coming. And we can look up and say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. But if he should come, if he should come, are we ready? I mean by that two or three things. Number one, John said in 1 John chapter 2, my little children, that ye be not ashamed before him at his coming. Why would we be ashamed before Jesus when he comes? What are some reasons why a believer would be ashamed before Christ when he comes? One of the things that I can think of tonight that would shame us before the Lord when he comes is having someone that we know lost and we've not done what we could to win that person to Jesus. We've not done what we could to go and try to bring them in from the fields of sin. I want to thank God for the Glendale Baptist Church. During these past years of vision you know, we could have sat on this corner of Roselawn and Blake or wherever, we're, wherever corner we're on, Kirby, whatever it is over here, 
We could have just sat here three blocks behind the T.C. Cherry School and six blocks off the 31W Bypass and a block off the Small House Road and just sat here in our little old shell and said, well, here we are. If you want the gospel, come. We preach it every week. Come. But you know you didn't do that. You took seriously the mandate of the master to go. Not only to send missionaries to Africa and China and the other places of the world, but to send missionaries across Bowling Green into the back lanes and the front lanes and the broadways and the alleys with a red, white, and blue bus. It used to be a golden chariot. To make the church and the gospel message as close as the street in front of everybody's house in this city. You did it. Why? Because of the mandate of Jesus to go and reach the lost at any cost. I thank God for this church. I've been in many churches in revival meetings, but they say, preacher, how in the world do you get young people to come to church? All we've got is, we've got, we've got adults, we've got lots of adults, we've got lots of money. Uh, you'd be astounded what some small churches have in money, have back, black logs in their treasuries. Five and ten thousand dollars, twenty-five and fifty. They said, preacher, how do you get young people? I said, you, you preach hard at them. You know I've said enough to young people and teens in this church and privately to make every one of them hate me. I don't know whether they hate me or not. I think they love me. I love them. But I want to tell you, I don't believe, I don't believe that you reach young people by giving them some little pretty little old, you know, feed them corn out of your hand and, I believe they can take strong word of God. And I believe God wants young people to put their all on the altar for the Lord, to put it on the line and say, God, here I am. I want to yield myself to thee. I don't believe God wants a bunch of panty-waist little old teenagers running around dancing all night and saying, going to church on Sunday morning, here I am. <laughs> I danced all night and I just had such a jiggy, jiggy time. And here I am, I've come to church. I don't believe God wants anything like that. I believe he wants some teenagers who will take a stand for God and say, I'm going to serve the Lord in a time like this. And I believe God wants adults who will hold the line and say, let's have a kind of church where young people can feel the moving of God's Holy Spirit and will, and will provide a strong stand for them. I, I, you know, we don't know what we have till we lose it. That's all the, always true, isn't it? It's always true. It's always true. Some of you didn't know how good your home was until you grew up and left it, and you said, I wish I could go back home. And you can't ever go back home. It's never the same again. Some people who would say, well, you know, I wish we had, uh, I wish we didn't, you know, did, wish we didn't have this and didn't have that. I wish this and that and the other. We'd better be thankful for what we have. I look sometimes at some of our dirty walls around here. I wish we could keep them painted all the time. But I'm glad there's some little prints on those walls. and Some of the places are not as pretty and clean as they could be because we've got little kids coming through this building all the time. Some of them come from homes. They don't wash their hands before they come. They don't have parents that tell them to wash their hands. And some of them don't have very pretty clothes. But thank God 
they know there are people here that love them because you have extended an arm of love to them. To God be the glory. I remember, I'm thankful for this nice carpet. Some of you are back in the pioneer days. You remember that first carpet we had in here was brown. It was a holy carpet. It was all we could afford at the time. We put in an inexpensive carpet, and about two or three, four years after we had it, there were big holes down here. And I remember Betty Stallnecker came here one time to sing, and she tripped over a hole in the carpet. She said, I've never been in a church that had a holy carpet like that. <laughs> I thank the Lord God helped us to get a better one. But you know, I'm glad where it wore out. Wore out right down here. Some of the ladies of the church used to get out on their knees every week and darn that, I guess I can say that word, can't I? And they'd darn that rug. How many of you in here remember that? Some of you remember that, don't you? Sure you do. They'd, put, they'd sew it up. You think I'm telling a fairy story. That's exactly right. They'd, they'd sew it up. What am I saying? I'm saying that you have lived in the light of the coming of the Lord and have purposely taken stands that really count for eternity. Investing in lives, pouring your life into lives. You know, I believe God will take care of us financially. This is a church that's broke every week. We don't have twenty or $30,000 in some kind of a sinking fund. <laughs> If you only knew. I had a lady call me one day, very indignant, because a couple of our deacons had been to tell to her house. She had asked for some money, and we didn't have anything. We didn't have anything. She said, I don't believe that a church your size, with those buses and all the program you have, couldn't have any money. Now, frankly, I didn't have anything. I, myself, I couldn't give her anything. And we didn't have anything. She bawled me out over the phone because we didn't have anything to give. She didn't realize we were, we were broke. Now, you know, that's the way it is, but I want to tell you, I believe God takes care of the finances. And I believe the Lord will take care of all of our money that we need. He'll provide. As long, as long now, as long as we keep putting priorities where they belong. First things first. As long as we keep reaching out after the lost. As long as we have a long arm to reach with compassion those who are in spiritual need and draw them to Christ in light of the soon coming of our Lord. As long as we take a stand against sin and hate it with all of our heart and love Christ and have some standards. I believe that. And I want to ask you, would you commit your life to holy living in the light of the coming of the Lord? Would you say, Jesus, I want to live a holy life. I, want to, I don't want to see how close to the world I can live and still go to heaven, but I want to see how close to Jesus I can live and still stay on earth. <laughs> I want to see how close to the Lord I can dwell and still walk around the earth and be somebody God can use. Now, I think it's possible to get... Uh, you know, totally heavenly-minded, and you're of no earthly value. Uh, I, I've known a few people like that. Uh, they, they just, it looks like they've climbed up with both feet in heaven, and they're just hanging down here with their hands upside down, and they can't do much. I believe like a, a film, a movie one time said, we ought to keep one foot in heaven and one foot on the earth. God wants us to be idealistic and realistic. 
but I believe with all my heart that God wants his people to live holy lives, holiness under the Lord. And when we detect sin, whether it's the sin of the Spirit or the sin of the flesh, and incidentally, our Lord was more severe in his judgment and sins of the Spirit than he was sins of the flesh. They dragged the woman to Jesus one day and they threw her down, said, she's committed adultery. Moses in his law said she ought to be stoned. What do you say? And the Lord stooped down and he rolled in the sand. He said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone when he stood up. I don't know what he wrote in the sand, maybe the Ten Commandments, something, I don't know what it was. Then he stooped down again. He kept writing. Pretty soon he stood up and all those old Pharisees were gone. All those people who had made fun of this woman, they were gone. And Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, he didn't condone her sin. He wasn't proud of her. He wasn't bragging on her. He wasn't saying, well, well, God bless you. You just go right on committing adultery. It's okay. I know you have feelings and emotions and you can't help it. I don't believe that at all. I believe God wants us to live holy, righteous lives. But what he was saying is, I'll forgive you, but these others that dragged you to me, they are in greater danger because of their severe judgmental attitude in the light of the coming of the Lord let's live holy lives repenting of sins of the spirit and sins of the flesh are you ready for Christ to come secondly in the light of his glorious coming in the light of his glorious coming are you positive beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're God's child that you're saved that you have a song to sing there's a little old song we sing sometimes, I have a song that Jesus gave me. It was sent from heaven above. There never was a sweeter melody. It's the melody of love. In my heart there rings a melody. Do you have a song? Are you sure that Jesus is dwelling in your heart? Is there joy and peace and pardon and purpose and power? Or you go around pouty all the time, mad all the time. You wear your fingers, your, your feelings on your shoulder and somebody can just easily push them off and you get all upset and all mad down. You know what's the problem that happens? And that happens to a lot of Christians. You know what ha what's wrong? Our mental tents are pitched on self instead of upon Christ. And when we look up and we see Jesus and we measure everything, we weigh everything in light of him and what would honor him and the little things that happen to us aren't nearly so important. I'm sure all of us have feelings that have been hurt from time to time. But oh, how precious to cast our burden upon the Lord in the light of his coming. Thirdly, not only are you living holy life, secondly, are you positive you have a song to sing? Are you sure you're saved? But thirdly, what are you doing to try to get other people to heaven? What are you doing to try to get other people to heaven? Now, I want to ask young people not to write notes in church. You know, one of the most despicable things I can think of is for kids to sit around in church and write notes. If my face you want to see, look on page 33. All that kind of foolish thing. My name is Jimmy Lott, take all you give me. You'd be surprised some of the notes I've found in this church. I've gone around and looked on 
sometimes in songbooks and different places. I, I just happen to look around sometimes when girls and guys start sitting together. And first thing they do, you know, they can't sit there and love God, serve the Lord, and honor Him. They have to write notes. And I hate to say it, but most of it originates with, I'm not going to tell you which sex. You, you guess. <laughs> now, I, I think that what you ought to do is repent of that. Just ask God to forgive you. Wipe those old notes up and put them down in your pocket. And when you get out of here, burn them up. Ask God to give you the grace and the strength not to do it anymore. Be done with those things. What are you doing on earth to get people in touch with heaven? What are you doing? I believe Christ wants us to serve him with all of our heart and mind and soul and body and to do everything we can to get other people in touch with heaven. Listen to what they sing in heaven. They don't sing about how good we are. They don't sing a note about our good works. Here's what they sing. They sang a new song saying, stanza one, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal, for thou wast slain. A song about Jesus. The st second stanza is something like it. And thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And the third stanza, And thou hast made us unto our God a kingdom of priests. And the fourth stanza, And we shall reign on the earth. Four stanzas in that new song, a glorious song of heaven. And when we stand there face to face with him, that's what we're going to sing. And we're going to join the redeemed of all the ages. In chapter 4, we have some songs. In chapter 5, the redeemed join together and sing, Thou art worthy. And then the angels and the created beings join us and they say, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and honor. And then every creature that is in heaven and on the earth and all that are under the earth and such as are in the sea, every created being in all the universe, join together and say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures sit over here and say, Amen, Amen, Amen. That's what it's going to be like in heaven when the Lord comes to take us to himself. Are you ready? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our hearts humbled before the Lord. I'd like to ask you to look deep into your own heart and life. Is there anyone here who is not prepared to enter that city, the city of God? Either not prepared because you've never been saved or not prepared because you're not living where God answers prayer. Our Father, we pray tonight Thy Spirit would touch men and women, boys and girls. Draw them into a close walk with Jesus. May the Lord's name be honored in everything said and done in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing God's invitation. Now, I'd like to ask, first of all, if you're here tonight and you're not positive 
you're born again. You're not really sure you're saved. I'd like to ask you to come. Yield your heart to Jesus. You may say, but I'm not sure how to do that. If you'll come, we'd like to take the Word of God and show you from the Bible how to be saved, how to know Christ. Others are saved, but somehow things have gotten between your heart and God's heart. You're not as close to the Lord as you once were. You need to sort of come back to Jesus. There may be someone here tonight who ought to come and take a stand for Christ. Just say, I want to serve the Lord, live for Him, be more what He wants me to be. There's some here that ought to move your membership to this church. Your member's off somewhere else. I was very impressed by what a young man did who's in our city just for the summer. He came and said, I want to become part of this church while I'm here just this summer. And he's been faithful and active, loyal to the Lord and to the church. That's God's will. There may be somebody here who has felt God's tug at your heart to do something special for him. Or God has his hand on you. He wants you to be for him a soul winner. Would you surrender? Would you say, Lord, here I am. I want to yield my life to you to be what you want me to be. While we pray, while we sing, who step out first for the king? God help you to step out. Come for him. Do what Jesus tells you to do tonight while we begin to sing.